This podcast is brought to you by Trend. Trend is a micro-influencer marketing platform that helps connect brands with influencers. Learn more, join our network, or start an influencer campaign at trend.io. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to The Trend. I'm Jay, joined again with Ramon, and today we have a special guest host on our podcast, Arnold Ma, CEO and founder of Cumin, a people and experience business focused on China. Hey, Arnold, how's it going? We're so glad to have you on this podcast. We'd love to start by learning a little bit more about you and what exactly you mean by people and experience business focused on China. Thank you very much, Jay, and thank you, Ramon. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Um, so uh, I'm Arnold, and I'm the CEO and founder of Cumin. Um, so we call ourselves a people and experience business um, because we feel like especially in regards to China, a lot of the times when we're helping brands to get into China with their products or services, uh, we need to help them to understand Chinese people and cultures first and foremost. Um, We think that, uh, and this is really important, specifically in relation to China, because China was closed for such a long time. It's only really in the last 20, 30 years that China has opened itself up to the world. So before that, um, China was very much closed off, and this means there was like a knowledge. There is a knowledge gap that exists between how the world understands Chinese people and cultures, but also vice versa, how Chinese and people, how Chinese people understand global cultures. Um, so we feel like when we're helping brands to enter China, we need to help them understand Chinese people in relation to their products and services and their brand. So we do that essentially before anything else, uh, and that's a people part. So a lot of inside documentaries, a lot of ethnography, really going back to the roots, a lot of focus groups. Um, And then once we understand um, how people um, interact with their brand and how people purchase their products and services, uh, how people use their products and services, we can move on to experiences. And we feel like, again, specifically relating to China, almost everything we do is an experience. Whether it's like a piece of social media content or whether it's a... Um, an app or a mini program on WeChat or social commerce, which I know we'll talk about later. All of these are essentially how people experience their brand, their products and services. Um, so that's why we call ourselves a people and experience company with a focus on China. That's awesome. I know you guys did something with Netaporter, which I got to see that was something based on an experience. Could you share a specific, you know, um, you know, study of, of uh, a specific client and, and how you created that experience. I think that would be super helpful for the audience. Yeah, so we've done it quite a few times. Pretty much everything we do, like I said earlier, evolve around some kind of a digital experience. So NetSupporter was a good one, but um, I thought it might be interesting, actually. So I'm going to start off talking about Man United because that's a piece of work that we're really proud of. And like we put a lot of uh, a lot of effort into it. Uh, but we can talk about NetSupporter later if you'd like, uh, which is kind of more related to building a platform. For Man United, uh, we realized essentially that football fans in China are very different to, or should I say, soccer fans. <laughs> so, um, so football fans, English football uh, fans in China are very different to uh, football fans in the UK. And... Uh, whereas in the UK it's much more hereditary and generational, where you can you tend to support the same team that your family does, right? Your dad or your your uncle, your parents, uh, and it's also very geographical, uh, ge- geographically related. So uh, if you're from a specific area, you tend to support the team in that area. Uh, 
And finally, the behavior in the UK is that it's very laddish. Um, people would go out and like uh, get drunk, go to pubs or go to games, and um, it's very rowdy. And it has a very like, I guess, uh, very uh, extrovert atmosphere. Uh, whereas in China, it's almost completely the opposite, right? So first of all, there's no hereditary. Uh, support of teams because obviously football is only into, especially English football is only into China recently in the last couple of decades and most. Um, so people don't have existing teams that their parents supported. So they're discovering teams for the first time. Second thing, there's no geographical relationship in the sense that people obviously are from China, so not going to support like Arsenal because they're from London, right, or Man United because they're from Manchester. Um, so but the the most interesting was like the behavior. So there's no laddish culture around football, uh, and it's actually watched mostly by people who I guess we would call geeks. Um, and their vertical interests are anime uh, and anime slash manga, and also gaming as well. And because of the time difference, they watch live games mostly at night on the second screen. So using their mobile phones rather than watching it live on the TV. Uh, during peak time with their friends, with their family, a lot of times the content is consumed like. Uh, by themselves uh, when they're doing something else. So what we wanted to do was create an experience uh, that related to them specifically based on those insights. And previously, what we've seen is a lot of football teams, whether it's English or Spanish or Italian, all the stuff they've created are essentially like generic translated content from their Western marketing. And it all seems like it just lacks respect. They talk about how important Chinese fans are, but they don't show it, right? They don't create unique experiences, unique campaigns that tailor to them. So we want to change that. So what we did was we created a, this is really cool and I love this. We created like a manga, essentially, like a, we built a story around, it's essentially a, a regular Joe, right? So a regular Joe come home to watch a football game, Man United is like favor team, um, and it's his escapism from like the stress um, of working in China and the pressure of a fast-growing economy. Um, but what happened was like he got his phone got hacked, uh, and he got this like really crazy voice from like an alien who's basically summoned him into like a planet. Uh, above like a spaceship above earth that has a giant football pitch and hit and and the alien basically goes around different planets playing football matches with different worlds and if they beat them they destroy the planet right so this alien is like what's the best football team on earth and obviously this guy says man united so they summon man united team onto this big big spaceship and they play this like match to save the world uh, and it's a classic story of good versus evil this this um, Man United plays uh, obviously like not very good in the first half because they're playing against killer robots who can fly and shoot rockets and stuff. <laughs> uh, and then in the second half, they get this like uh, prep talk. They get this like motivational speech from their um, from from their manager, which is Jose Mourinho at the time, uh, and they transform into these red devils. Uh, which is a which is a mascot for Man United, and it's all about kind of the red devil and never giving up spirit, which is part of what Man United is all about. Come out second half, obviously smashes the smashes the alien robots and then wins a match and saves the world. So that's kind of like the storyline, uh, and the, we did that is again like built into the vertical interests of anime, manga, but also relating to their pressures of daily lives and having escape, watching football, and kind of like it's, it, it's essentially like another world for them. So we focused on story and we focused on evocative connection first, and after that we built a really cool thing, which again I really love, like. Uh, the whole idea of the campaign is to capture data, right? To capture data of Chinese football fans or Chinese Man United fans specifically, 
so instead of doing like a form to fill in the information, we created uh, multiple segments. We created multiple sections in the story where things would change depending on the choice they selected. So it's like a story of multiple arcs. And in each of those sections where they could change the storyline, we captured one bit of data. So at the end, we had like their name, their phone number, their email addresses, but it was all built into part of the experience and part of the story. So it didn't feel like we were trying to get their data. Uh, the idea was that it felt like they were playing a game and they were in control of the narrative. And as part of that, they had to put in their information. Uh, and this was this was insane. Like we, I think we got like we got millions of reach. I think it was 1.5 million or something. Pretty much all organic because it had no ad spend behind it. Uh, I can't remember the. How many data we captured? Did you guys develop this? Did you guys yeah, build this in-house? Yeah, we developed it from scratch. I think we did like we did thousands of frames of animation. Uh, we drew everything from scratch. I remember it was crazy because we were like essentially animating some of the most famous football players in the world, right? Like Jose Mourinho's Jose Mourinho is probably one of the one of the most famous um, one of the most famous managers in the world, and they were all like really fussy about how they looked. Um, so Mousy Mourinho was like, uh, I look too angry. Can you make me less angry and stuff? And it was just like a really fun experience. Um, but yeah, we did all of this from scratch, the animation, the technology, um, the CRM, and also the promotion as well. Wow, that's really awesome. Do you guys still have it up somewhere that we can share? I'd love to, I'd love to see it. We do, yeah, definitely. I can send you the case study video, which explains essentially what we did and all the results we've managed to achieve as well. Wow. That's really awesome. That's uh, you have my interest hooked for the whole the whole thing. So it sounds like a really cool concept. Yeah, but you know, it's like one of those campaigns where so we won a we won an award doing that actually. Uh, and uh, it's one of those campaigns where we did and we would when we were doing it, we felt like we were killing ourselves, and it was just so stressful. But you know, like when that happens, uh, it's it's when the best work comes out, and it was just it, it was all worth worth it in the end. Cool. Um, yeah, that's super awesome. Um, so I know, uh, a lot of the fans that we have on the podcast, I'm sure are, you're an expert in China and are looking for more of that expert knowledge. Um, so I'd love to hear from you. I know you guys ran that campaign specifically and you guys have run a ton of different campaigns and do a ton of, uh, I mean, you're so China focused. Um, so let's talk about what the e-commerce industry and like influencer marketing too, this is an influencer marketing podcast, kind of looks like in China. I know you kind of mentioned some of those key differences, but I'd love to hear a little bit more about what the industry looks like and maybe how it's a little bit different. Yeah, it's a really good question. Um, I guess the first thing to say, and I'm sure you guys know this, and uh, I, I know you guys mentioned it earlier as well before we started recording, is that I feel like genuinely the digital industry, whether it's influencer marketing or e-commerce uh, or even a combination of the two. It's just like it's just years ahead of what we're doing in the West um, from a platform perspective, but also from the perspective of how users are adapting to those changes. Um, so I always say that the good thing about China is that there was no like legacy behavior of how people should engage with mobile internet, right? Because if you think about it, when mobile internet came out, uh, I guess real mobile internet was when the first iPhone was released, right? Because before that, we had like 
it was just basically no internet on, on mobiles. It was pointless. You can't really use it. When the iPhone came out, you could start actually browsing the internet properly. And that's when mobile internet first kind of like started picking up traction. But when that happened, internet penetration in the West already like 80, 90%, right? In the US and the UK, people already had pre-existing perception of what the inter- whole internet should behave on a desktop environment. Um, so mobile internet was in the West essentially like basically porting desktop experiences to mobile phones so it, it, it wasn't like created from scratch whereas in china when mobile internet was released i.e the first iphone um no one really had the internet so the penetration was so low that companies and tech giants like tencent and alibaba just started building experiences for the mobile specifically and they picked up a lot of traction because people didn't have this legacy behavior uh, that meant it was hard for them to adapt from a desktop environment or rather experiences like social media, uh, website aggregators like flight booking, OTEs. They didn't have any of these, uh, they didn't have any of these conceptions of how the internet should behave. So when tech giants released mobile only experiences like WeChat, uh, people just embraced it with open arms because they were like, wow, this is amazing. You know, this is made for platform, made for mobile. Um, so everything evolved from a very different angle, I think, in China than it does in the West. So while we're still trying to convince people of new made-for-mobile experiences, China already went through that when they first launched mobile phones, and now they're just evolving, I feel like, on a different traje- trajectory than the West is evolving. Sorry, that's a really long-winded way of answering your question. <laughs> I'm going to actually move on to the answer now. Answer now. Um, so I think for influencer marketing, it's moving more towards live streaming, also more towards creators and less towards like paying someone to say good things about your brand. Um, and for e-commerce specifically, moving towards live streaming also, but I still think like social commerce in China is probably the best example of rather than like trying to bolt e-commerce onto social, it's genuinely taking the best of social platforms and the best of purchasing online and creating a new hybrid, uh, a new hybrid system that we've essentially not seen before in the West. Do you think that social commerce could eventually, who knows, you know, even surpass e-commerce in terms of, you know, sales for consumer products and stuff? Yeah, I think. 100 percent it will do uh i have absolutely no doubt in this because uh, you guys probably know like the um the trend of direct to consumer stuff uh, the, the, uh, dtc as well right direct to consumer so like some of the biggest brands in the world are dtc now and i read something the other day like pepsi call is even considering like dtc as well um and for dtc social commerce i think way more powerful than just regular e-commerce or like buying from a website right because um Okay, let me give you an example. So do you guys, you guys know TikTok, right? Yeah. Um, so TikTok is basically the English version of Douyin, which is like TikTok in China. And it was like massive in China before TikTok became big here. So if you look at Douyin, the platform, it's, it's, it's what I think t- TikTok will be in like a year or two years time. Um, so Douyin already has social commerce. And the best example I've seen I literally saw a video the other day and I saved this because it's so cool. So I love food, right? Like I love food. I love cooking. I love eating. So a lot of, a lot of my feed uh, is food. And I saw this like old lady cooking this like amazing chili sauce, right? It's basically like chili, garlic, onions, and she fries it. So you know it's going to be fragrant. Uh, and then she puts like, she roasts these peanuts and she de-skins them. And she put the peanut, chops it up and puts it in a sauce. She puts some meat in there. And I was like, oh my God, I wish I could eat this right now. And in the end, she puts it in this little jar. Uh, and then 
oh my god like you look at the bottom hand corner like things that right left hand corner you could literally buy that jar on the platform and because chinese logistics is amazing you could probably receive that for dinner and eat it that same day that's wild so for me that's like a really good example of like taking the best part of social like content that people want to see like i'm happy seeing that content even if it wasn't commerce right it's not like instagram commerce where you just put a picture of a nike trainer and be like buy this trainer yeah that's not social sure. commerce no right <laughs> so and i looked at the profile of this lady that was selling that chili sauce she doesn't actually do this all the time like all her other content were just generic cooking content right and this was just one case where she felt like she could create content but also sell something at the same time um so i think yeah for me that's that's really the future of of e-commerce in general so it's about creators using what they're good at and then creating and selling that in a social environment that isn't that feels like it's still part of the experience of browsing a social media platform and content platforms that's really interesting to see i know personally me i've, I've used tiktok and i've used other social platforms and it feels like I know me personally that it feels like I'm more likely to interact with something that feels a little bit more native and feels like it belongs on the platform than kind of just someone threw it on there. Um, and it makes the experience a lot more fun. So I, I can totally relate to that. I know we talked a little bit about social commerce and kind of how it's growing as well. Um, I'd love to learn a little bit more as well about um because obviously over here, you know, social commerce is definitely not probably at the level that it is in China. So a lot of brands are still focusing super hard on e-commerce. So I'd love to know, like, uh, what are some of the trends that you're seeing um, in, in e-commerce in China and online retail in China as well? So China never really had like kind of like a brand.com experience like we have here. So it's always been very platform based. It's almost like when, uh, have, having like an online mall. Everything's like, uh, obviously have Timo and JD and Alibaba. Um, and for me, that was like the first iteration of e-commerce in China. Uh, I guess it's similar to the West where people didn't really trust online shopping when it first came out. So they needed like power players, like big technology platforms to give people that trust. And once they've had that, rather than moving to like brand.com, which is what happened in the West, people initially started with eBay and Amazon, and then they moved to brand.com a lot. Uh, China skipped that phase completely and moved directly to social commerce, i.e. people buying off social media platforms. And I think the next step really is, uh, next step of commerce in China is really got it's really got to be about live streaming i know a lot of people compare live streaming to live streaming commerce to or rather live commerce to qvc um in china it's completely different right with qvc people don't watch qvc for entertainment people watch qvc to buy shit but in china people watch live streams for entertainment it's something they genuinely like watching and i think the selling is almost like a bonus part of it so they would do like reviews of products and it's all like genuine they would like do uh shows um of various things and then uh maybe it just so happens you can buy something and they'll be selling something um and i think i think it's like a really good way of a building affinity with your customers and also b what we were saying earlier about mixing uh the benefits of having like i guess content as well as commerce um so yeah for me like i think live streaming is uh it's already massive in china now uh i know live streaming live commerce is not big here right now uh but 
it's absolutely huge in China. And we always say to people, if you want to sell in China, you've got to do it live, um, especially in 2020. I think you're teeing me up for the next question over here, which is, uh, do you ever think that this is going to parallel to what's going to happen over here in the West? I know, obviously, you're focused mostly in China, but uh, I'd love to hear your thoughts about whether you think this is going to ever happen over here in the West. And then kind of a second part to that question is, um, we've talked about how far China is ahead, especially in terms of social commerce and things like that. Do you think the West will ever catch up or do you think China will continue to be the the innovator that they have shown to be so far? Yeah, that's a really good question. I think I'm, I think I'm going to answer the second part first, actually, because um, I've thought about this and I've been asked this question before. And I think I think it's less about catching up. I think it's more about having the opportunity to create innovation of people's adaptation and also the opportunity to innovate. So... Uh, again, like, it's probably best if I put into example. So when China first started to like, when the economy first started to grow, uh, what they did was like really smart. They took a lot of Western technology, looked at it, and they said, well, actually, we don't really need this. We can just move to the next step, right? So for example, China was like always a cash economy. Um, before they, so people had cards, but no one used cards. Like you had to carry cash everywhere with you. So when mobile wallets came out, again, it was related to what I said earlier about like built for mobile experiences, uh, that China could essentially skip from cash economy to mobile wallets, which is like a huge uh, benefit or ROI in convenience, right? Whereas in the West, us moving from card culture to mobile wallets, it's not really like Okay, it's great, but it's not like changing from cash to mobile wallets. Like the ROI on convenience is massive in that. So they create like a technology leapfrog where they just skip that generation and went straight to mobile wallets. Uh, and another example is like uh, TV. So in the West, we had terrestrial TV, then cable and satellite. And now we're doing like, now essentially video on demand is everything, right? Everyone's, even Disney. Um, but in China, we, they, we never had cable and satellite because terrestrial was obviously the first iteration of tv and entertainment uh so and china is way too big to have like that kind of infrastructure anyway so they went just straight to video on demand and that became like the next iteration of technology i.e leapfrogging again so i think china had this opportunity uh, again with like social commerce so rather than rather than starting with like the first gen of social media platforms which uh is like face sorry which is like myspace uh where it's mostly kind of like uh I guess it's pretty much 100% network focus, right? You had to, if you, do you guys remember MySpace? You had to go to someone else's profile <laughs> to view their content, which was crazy, right? And then when Facebook came out, it's like, oh my God, there's like content aggregates on the homepage. This is insane. So that's like, the, that's when the social feed was invented, which is like a mixture of network slash content based platforms where you're getting content from your network, but it's aggregated and it's, tailored based on like how you interact and your behaviors uh and china when china was just like fuck this we're going to the next generation which for me is like tiktok and doin it's 100 percent content led right so you don't even need to follow anyone you get on the platform you start viewing content and it just learns based on the content you view what kind of stuff you like even if you don't follow anyone ever your homepage or your feed rather is still tailored to your taste so for me, that's like 100% content-led, right? It's almost zero. Like if you follow people, it will learn from that, but you don't need to do that because it, 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 it can custom your feed based on just the way you interact with content. Um, so 
to answer your question, I think I think it's less about catching up. I think it's about the next opportunity for the West to now use what China has done, or rather learn and use that platform to leapfrog to the next generation of technology. So for me, and you know what, like when I saw, when I heard the news recently about Apple releasing like QR codes and stuff, and I'm just like, what are you guys doing? Like, seriously, the, for me, the next generation is less about QR codes, less about mobile wallets. It's got to be about facial recognition AI, right? Like convenience wise, for me, that's the next step. Rather than taking your phone now and paying with something, whether it's QR code or thumbprint or facial recognition, you want to walk into a store, pick some shit up and then walk back out without even having to think about paying. I know Amazon Go has been testing this for quite a while now, like um, I think at least a few years, maybe even longer. Uh, it's, it's quite widespread in China. Um, people start to use it, but I'm really interested to see less about catching up and more about how the West can leapfrog to the next generation of technology using what China has done. Um, so it'll be interesting to see that. And I don't think it's come from a current generation of social media platforms, not Facebook, not Instagram. Like these platforms are built for content slash network. They're not built for the next generation. I think it's come from something completely different where it's native content and also native commerce as well. Um, I think you'll come from a completely different platform um, to create the next generation of social commerce. How do you compare like, you know, these improvements and these leaps with what you've been able to see in influencer marketing in China, let's say, compared to in the United States? So I know that KOLs um, are a big uh, a big part of influencer marketing in China. But so how have you seen that change of influencer marketing in the digital age from when social commerce started to like what it is today? Yeah, uh, really good question again. So I think, uh, so I think in China, so influencer marketing is huge in China for a few reasons, right? The first reason is that China is a recommendation-based society, or rather like a peer, a peer recommendation-based society, not just online but offline as well. Like when you, when you need a plumber in the West, whether it's UK or the US, you Google it right now. Uh, before back in the days, you go to the yellow pages or whatever, like a directory, right? In China, that doesn't happen. In China, if you need a plumber, you go ask your friend, do you know a good plumber? And if he doesn't know someone, he'll go ask his friend, do you know a good plumber? Um, so it's always network-based. You don't go to a directory or a search engine, uh, which is why influencer marketing is so big in China, because it's essentially like recommendation at scale. Um, and it builds into the culture. I mean, it's, it's the same in the West, right? But the extremity of how important it is in China is embedded in its culture for thousands of years. So that's why it's so huge and so important in China. However, unfortunately, I think people are wising up to the fact that brands are just paying influence to say nice things about them. Like that's happened in the West as it has happened in China. It just happened even faster and even a larger scale in China because influence marketing is so important. So I think the way it's evolved, especially in recent years, is that it's evolved towards more advocacy rather than influencers. So a lot of what we do with brands is that we create we create campaigns and situations where we can essentially take their most um, their biggest fans of their products, of their brand, of their services, and help them to create content. Even if they have like a thousand followers or two thousand followers or ten thousand followers, it doesn't matter because we'll be approaching like a thousand of them, right? So it's less about I guess paying influencers to say nice things about you. It's more about finding, it's nothing new, I guess, but it's just a way that it's implemented in China. It's on like much larger scale. We will create a situation where we can talk to like thousands of people 
uh, about a specific brand and get them to uh, yeah, get get them to essentially recommend it to their peer group, uh, however small. Uh, and the idea is that will scale out from there slowly. For sure, yeah, that's exactly aligned with uh, what we do at Trend. You know, we focus on on really high quality content creators who also happen to be micro influencers. They create content for the brand. The brand can then repurpose that content, and as a plus, you know, the the influencers get to recommend. Um, the product because why not their content studio doesn't do that for them so uh, in order to scale that user-generated content we found that micro influencers are uh, the most approachable and, and easiest way to to scale it like you mentioned in, in the thousands range and it's real right it's it's authentic and it's real it's not like it's not someone saying uh, their favorite shoe brand is adidas one week and nike the next week yeah yeah exactly <laughs> well it's they have a personal brand too you know so when brands ask us you know ultimately sure there are going to be people that are just going to promote anything that comes their way but eventually they're going to be hurting their own personal brand and those people aren't going to stick around as an influencer if they if they really care about their their followers and bringing value uh you bet that they're only going to promote products that they know their audience will will also enjoy Exactly, 100%. And I love how you said creators as well, because I actually hate the word influencer. If you've noticed, I mean, I've been trying to avoid it. I use advocates, I use creators. I don't know, like, I think Instagram created this generation influencer where it's just a bunch of people, like, like outside. They're like, they're commentators, right? They're commenting on lifestyles, they're commenting on food, they're commenting on, like, fashion, they're commenting on photography. They're not creators in the sense that they're not chefs, they're not artists they're not musicians they're not photographers and i think the next generation is is going to be more about the people who are creating and less about people who are commentating and i think tiktok um for all its faults it's going to evolve like doin has it's a platform for creators because commentating on a video is much less appealing than commentating on a photo and text like creation on a video is just way more appealing as content and I think the next generation of social media, I call it the third generation after Facebook and LinkedIn and Twitter, um, is going to be a lot more about creators and less about commentators. That's really interesting. Um, I think we definitely at Trend feel the same way. I know we've talked about kind of like, especially now during what's going on with the pandemic, I know a lot of influencers are losing out on some of their business, but we really kind of see it the same way as more of an evolution towards the creators, right? The creators are going to be the ones that are going to be the most successful just because of the fact that they are the ones that are really connecting with the audiences and making them feel like they're a part of their network than just kind of trying to force a sell on them. So I think we are definitely on the same page there. Um, I don't know if I have any more questions left over here. Ramon, do you have anything else that you wanted to ask Arnold? I think that's a good amount of information for, for, for us to digest. That was awesome. Uh, thanks so much, Arnold, for diving into uh, the whole topic of social commerce, e-commerce, influencer marketing, creator, creator marketing in, uh, in China. Maybe we'll come out with a new word. That we can kind of brand, but um, thank you so much for diving into all these topics with us. And I'm sure the listeners are going to be really excited about uh, everything you've talked about. One more thing, Arnold. So where can people, you know, learn more about Cumin or, or, or keep up with you? 
Thank you for asking. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I'm on LinkedIn a lot. Uh, pretty much all our content we create is on LinkedIn. Uh, so you can search for Arnold Ma. Uh, my second name is M.A. Uh, I should be the first one that comes up. Um, and we have, we, we do a lot of insights. We do a lot of news from China. We also have a, we just started a really interesting podcast uh, called Chinese News in English. Uh, and it's very literal. We basically do a daily news about China. So we search the news in Chinese and we translate into English. So you get it essentially before the general media gets it. Uh, so if you want like, completely up-to-date news from China uh, in English, then you can search for Chinese news in English on your favorite podcast platforms. Um, and yeah, thank you, for, thank you for asking. Yeah, for sure. Well, uh, you all have a great day and thank you for being here. Yeah, thank thanks, so thanks Jay, and thanks, Ramon. Thanks for having me. Really enjoyed it. Yeah, thanks.